I'm anticipating that this five-week series is the catalyst uh, to a more fulfilling and uh, greater spiritual life for you. I will be focusing on five foundational practices that every believer should be active in. There are so many Christians, I think, that desire to be mountains of maturity, but for some reason we're stuck in this valley of mediocrity when it comes to strengthening our relationship with Christ. And you know that your faith can climb much higher than it is right now, and that you can have a greater and deeper relationship, more meaningful relationship with Christ than probably you ever thought possible. But for that to happen, you got to become very intentional in your walk with Christ. You know, physically, when we grow, it doesn't take much to facilitate that growth, just a little bit of nutrients, and we grow up as we grow old. But when it comes to our spiritual life, it's not that simple. It takes some forethought. It takes some Uh, real willingness to grow up in the faith. And when it comes to our physical bodies, it's pretty natural. But when it comes to our spiritual life, it takes some, well, it takes some nurturing. And we are going to have to have some planned steps to get to the goal that we want to get to when it comes to our walk with Christ. You know, an accomplished musician doesn't become a virtuoso overnight or by accident. It takes years of practice in honing their instrument and becoming the best at their craft. And when they become the best, they still practice on a daily basis. You know, one of the areas of my life that I feel like I need to grow in is my prayer life. It's not the amount of time that I spend to prayer that bothers me. It's the quality of the prayer. So it's not about the quantity of my prayers. I feel like my prayer time can be more meaningful to me. I want to have meaningful times of personal prayer. The Apostle Paul really challenges me and challenges us all with this unattainable, what seems like an unattainable goal when it comes to our prayer life. He wrote, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, at least for me, there stands a monumental challenge. Pray continually, give thanks always. However, for the Apostle Paul, he believed he could He could pull this off. And so what does it look like to pray continually, that this becomes a defining attribute of our life? Well, I don't think it has to do with having long, exhaustive times of prayer. What if we were just to start off our day by saying, thank you, God, for the day that you've made it. May I rejoice today and be glad in what you bring before me. And then before we have our morning meal, we say, thank you, Father, for this food. May it give me energy as you and I take on this day together. How about when we drive to work, we say, God, give me self-control, tame my tongue, and give me an attitude that's able to speak truth and love together to those who I work with. Now, some of you, when you drive to work, you have kind of a different prayer. You say, God, I pray that my manager is sick today because I am really late and I don't want him to catch me. No, but before you ask God to have your manager come in sick, not come in sick, you make sure that you ask God that you can be a blessing to those around you in your office. Before you answer the phone call or you make a phone call, pray. Before you send a text or before you write an email, pray that that will be received with the right spirit that it was intended and that you have the right words just to say. Before you post something on social media, pray. Before you go to class and you think about your teacher, pray for your teacher. Dear God, I pray that Miss Smith is gracious to me because I've got some filling grades and I want her to look upon those things with a better attitude than what I've had in her class. When Before you go to an appointment, before you have a meeting, 
ask God to be a part of it. God, I'm not sure what's going to come out of this meeting. I'm not sure if it's going to be what I want or the news I want to hear. But whatever happens and whatever is said, I know that your strength can pull me through this and I can persevere with whatever hits my way. At the end of the day, as you, your head hits the pillow, you can thank God. Father, thank you for this moment of rest. Thank you for getting me through another day. Here's what I want us to start having the attitude of here at Bethany, this attitude, that prayer will be my first response rather than my last resort. You know what I find is that a lot of times we want God to bail us out. When trouble comes, we just start to get on our knees and we just don't have the anticipation of praying first and laying our prayers ahead of us. I look at the world today and I see a lot of good still in the world, but you know what? Our media has seemed to sensationalize the bad and because of that, our, our hearts and our eyes are fixated on on tragedy and pain and i can allow that tragedy and that pain to become a a callousing point for my heart and i can turn off my heart to the the hurt and pain around me or i can let it drive me to my knees rather than have me problematically pace around the room with worry and if i allow the headlines of the day to become an inspiration for my prayers i've got to have a lot of things in my life to be praying for you know, in Second Chronicles chapter 7, God talks about how He and we can bring healing to a hurting world. He said, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, He's saying there's going to be some troubled times in your world. For them, the troubled times were they just didn't have food to eat. There was drought for us. It seems like there is all sorts of issues in the world globally. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. God says, look, if you partner with me, then we can bring some healing to this place. And we just need to let the headlines of the day become the very thing that causes us to respond in prayer. And we should let that become our first response, not our last resort. I'd say nearly all of us in this room, we want to get deeper in prayer. And I know that we're busy, but I don't think that busy is the, you know, the thing that's stopping us. Some of us in this room, we know we're too busy not to pray. We, we need God a part of it. I think what's really stopping us is we just don't know what to pray for. We just don't have the confidence in coming to the Lord. We just kind of feel like, oh, what, what do I say? How do I say it? You know, I've heard this statement several times. It usually comes from Christians that try to boost up the boldness of a timid Christian when it comes to prayer, they'll say something like, you know, there is no wrong way to pray. But I think the disciples thought there was. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. In there you can find out how Jesus begins to instruct his his disciples about a right way to pray when they ask him, Lord, how do we pray? Because there is this idea that maybe there is a wrong way to pray and there is a right way to pray. And Luke introduces us to this encounter when jesus is maybe behind closed doors praying to the father by himself and the disciples walk in on him and they discover jesus praying and they overhear him and they say man his prayers sound so much differently than our prayers and i want to pray like that guy luke 11 let's look at uh, verse 1 one day jesus was praying in a certain place and when he'd finished one of his disciples said lord teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, John is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was that forerunner before Jesus. He baptized Jesus, and he set the ministry of Jesus in the proper place so that it could be carried on, so that Jesus could do better things than John. And so 
what they're saying is John, John's disciples prayed powerfully. John's disciples seem to have a different style of prayer. Would you teach us Jesus in such a way that we'll have power in our prayers too? They could have been frustrated with their prayer life. Their prayer lives could have been stagnant. Maybe their prayer lives were non-existent. Maybe you fit into one of those categories. But whatever it was, they knew that when Jesus prayed, that maybe they weren't praying that way. And that Jesus had a better way of praying than they did. So which makes me wonder, am I praying right? I mean, are you praying right? I know there's no special formula. Don't get that. I know there's no special kind of wording that kind of magically opens God's mighty hand to work on my behalf. I understand that. But the disciples noticed that they weren't doing it right. And I want to know, am I doing it right? So here's what Jesus taught them. Let's look. Verse 2, he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. So Jesus prayed what is oftentimes referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes we call it the model prayer. But what we see on paper in the scriptures is Jesus giving us really an outline for prayer. It was never intended to be recited and memorized and just kind of regurgitated back to heaven. It's like Jesus said, okay, fellas, you want to learn how to pray? Here's what my prayers consisted of. I address God relationally. He's my dad. So I called him father. And from there, I gave him the honor that's due his name. And then I requested that the kingdom that he wants to establish on earth would come quickly and that the people of earth would be saved radically. And then I thank God for all the little things in my life and the big things of my life. And then I, then I asked God to give the people of earth a forgiving nature, a forgiving attitude like he has for his children. And then I just, I just simply asked God to keep me from temptation because I don't want to be a sinner. And then I ask God to keep me from Satan's trap because Satan is my enemy and he's looking to devour me and I don't want to fall into that trap. Now Jesus didn't intend for us to recite that prayer, but he did intend for us to use that as an outline. As one author had said that I read this last week, clearly Jesus wasn't suggesting that this was his prayer. I mean, after all, why would Jesus, who is perfect, ask God to forgive him of sin? No, he laid out a starting point for us. And it's this kind of starting point that we see in Luke 11 and also in Matthew chapter 6 that we need to include in our prayer. And I want you to be able to walk out of here today to confidently come before the Lord in prayer knowing that you're doing it the way that he taught us to do it. So let me give you the best way to begin your prayer this morning. And that is to connect with God relationally rather than formally. You know, over and over in the New Testament, we find out that God has a desire for us to come to Him as children who call Him Father. Now, He wants to be a perfect Father to everyone in this world. That's why Jesus says, Our Father in Heaven. This is His favorite title to be called. You know, when the Apostle Paul cried out to the Lord over and over again, he would call God Abba Father, which is an endearing term, which means Daddy. Now, many of us have older kids in this room. Do you remember the days when they would climb up into your lap and they just fit perfectly there? I mean, they would just climb right in and your, their head would go right underneath your chin and you could just hold them tight. Now, those, for many of us, those days are long gone. But don't you love it when your children still come close to you, maybe touch your hand, put their arm around you, dads give you a high five, or they draw close to you in sitting next to you? 
You know, as I get older, I find that the time that I'm having with my kids getting close to me is becoming less and less. And I look forward to every moment to connect with them. And so if they want to involve me in something like a football game outside or going to play some tennis or to play a video game with them, I'm going to say yes to that because I love it when my kids want to connect to me relationally. And God loves it the same way. He wants to be your perfect father and he's connected to you. He's just waiting for you to connect to him. And one thing I think we all need to be aware of in this room is that my view of God is going to determine my relationship with God. My view of God is going to determine my relationship with God. So here, if I feel like God is some heavy-handed giant in my life, and that He's not a loving Father, He's just someone out to get me, He's just someone out to point out my sins and all my problems and remind me of my past, more than likely, I'm not going to go to God very often in prayer because I don't want to relate to Him because He's the one that's going to judge me. He's mad at me. But if I have this idea like Christ comes to prayer in, that God is my loving Father, that He's going to welcome me and embrace me regardless of what I've done and who I am, then I'm going to be more apt to come to a Father like that in prayer and tell Him about my life and tell Him how I want Him to intercede. You know, Romans chapter 8 gives me a pretty good idea of how God views me as uh, a believer. It says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, Instead, you receive God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now that we call Him, and here's that term, Abba, Father, Daddy. See, God accepts us as His children. And when you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, you're God's child. And friends, there's no more formality to God. There's only family now with God. He desires to be your perfect Father. He desires to be Abba, Father, Daddy. So start your prayer like you're talking to a loving Father who cares for you deeply. Now our prayers also should give God honor, the honor that He deserves. While He wants us to be very informal about the title Father, He also wants us to be reminded that God is all-powerful as well. That there's a, a respect that should go along with our Heavenly Father whom we're praying to. That's why Jesus says, Hallowed be your name. When I was an adolescent, I thought it was a good idea to call my dad dude. I, I figured out that was a bad idea when I was picking myself up off the kitchen floor. My dad desired a level of respect because not only was he my father, whom I could love and have an endearing relationship with, he knew that he, he deserved some respect as well. And for some of you, I think some of you dads, you don't mind if your kids call you by your first name. You don't mind if you have a nickname like Pops or Old Man. And while you may not mind that, however, let me remind you that God does. He, want, he wants to remind you why He wants to have an enduring relationship with you. Don't lose the respect that you have for an all-powerful God. You know, I've been a dad now for only 10 years, but in that time, I've discovered that my title to my children brings some authority that goes with it. And so if my kids... Uh, if I tell one of my boys, you know, tell your brothers to clean your room, and they walk in, they said, you know, Dad wants us to clean clean our room, just the utterance of the title gets them to clean their room most of the time. And if it doesn't, then I'll walk in and say, hey guys, your mom says we need to be cleaning up the house. And <laughs> You know, the psalmist summed this up by saying it like this. And let me, let me just tell you that God desires us to speak his name endearingly, but he wants us to recognize his authority. Here's what the psalmist says. That the Lord is like a father to his children. So we get that endearing side, that relational side, tender and compassionate to those who, what's the word? who fear him. 
Now, this isn't like a scary kind of fear, like I'm not sure how dad's going to come home tonight. He might be irrational, and I might get beat up by him. This is not a negative type of fear. This is a positive style of fear, something that says, I revere my father, I understand his power, and I love that about my father, but I also, I'm a, I also understand that there's a lot of authority that comes with him. He's my dad, he's absolutely perfect, and he's absolutely powerful. I'm not afraid of him. I respect him. You know, the Bible gives like 900 plus names for God. 900 plus names for God. I mean, all sorts of different names, like I am. He even is called at one point there. Like, he is there with you. One of the names, he's El Shaddai, meaning God Almighty. He's Yahweh, which means Lord. He's El Ohim, means creator, mighty creator. He's Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord of peace. I like what Proverbs 18 says. He says, God's name is a place of protection. Good people can run there and be safe. Now, I'm pointing that out because I want you to understand that there is this fine line, this balance to our prayers that says, you are my, you are my father. There's an enduring te- term like daddy to be applied, but you are all powerful. And some of us need to be running to that name more often. Maybe for you, you need You need Yahweh Shalom in your life. You need the Lord of peace in your life. You need to start running to that name and you need to cry out, Yahweh Shalom, Lord of peace, I need you now more than ever. May that Father that we cry out to not just have an enduring heart for him, may we also have respect for what he's able to accomplish. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he told them that prayer should include something like your kingdom come. When Matthew wrote down the model prayer, when Matthew heard the model prayer being spoken, he included the words that Jesus added, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that teaching, I think, is really Jesus saying, you ought to start praying God's agenda first before you start praying your own agenda. So the question is, what's God's agenda if I'm supposed to be praying that? (laughs) Good question. That agenda is that he wants all men to be saved. That's God's agenda. God's agenda is he wants every man to come to salvation. He wants no one to perish but have everlasting life. Oftentimes, there's Bibles that are left behind here after Sunday services. Someone will have just kind of fuzzy memory, forget their Bible behind, and we'll go back on Monday. We'll recognize there's a Bible here. We'll flip through the pages to find out who it is so we can return it. And uh, this... A few weeks ago, we found a Bible in here, and it was just loaded with communication cards. I think it was every communication card we've ever had at this church was in there. There was more communication cards in that Bible than there were pages left in that Bible. And what was remarkable about it was those communication cards were written all over. And they had words on the top, just bold, as bold as they could write over and over again. Pray, and then I'll underline, and under the word pray were a list of names. What they were doing was they were keeping a prayer list They were praying for other people. It was important to them, and they kept it in their Bible so that when it would be opened, they would be reminded to pray for these people specifically. You know Jesus had a prayer list? And we don't find that in the model prayer, but it's simply implied. When he says, your kingdom come, he's praying indirectly for people like you and me that we would receive the gospel of Christ and come to the salvation through Jesus. That that would happen quickly, and it would happen perfectly. You see, Jesus knew that God so loved the world, and so he directly prays for you and I. And the agenda that God has is for other people. And he wants your agenda in prayer to be for other people. Not about the abundance that he can bring to your life. Not about the greatest blessing he can add. He wants you to pray for others. And that's his whole plan. His plan for your life is that you give your heart over to to his son Jesus. And through Jesus, you find salvation and forgiveness of sin. I've heard... 
Jesus, I think if we were to hear Jesus pray, we would have heard him talk a lot about some names. He would have prayed for his disciples by name. I think he would have prayed for those that he was ministering to by name. And I think as Christians, we lose focus of this in our prayers. We lose focus of just specifically praying for a handful of people in our life. This is something that I think we need to do a lot more often. You know, when my dad died, I lost a friend, I lost an encourager, I lost a storyteller. But what I miss a lot is that I lost a prayer warrior in my life, someone that would pray earnestly for for me daily and for this ministry. And when he passed away, one of the first thoughts I had was, who's going to start praying for me now? Who's going to pray like my dad prayed for me? And I felt like I was running out of people who would bring my name to God intercessory on my behalf. There's a lot of things I miss about my dad, but one of the things I miss most is his prayers for me. And I think sometimes we lessen prayer. We make it less than it really is. We, we act like it's not that powerful. And we say things like, well, I don't know what to do, but I'll be praying for you. As it's like, like the bare minimum thing that we can do. And I understand that our faith demands tangible actions out of us, but don't lessen what prayer really is and the power that it brings with it when you specifically intercede to, on behalf of someone to God's name. I mean, when you intercede before God on, with someone else's name, it might be the only time that their name is mentioned before an almighty God because you mentioned it. And when you pray, pray for your inner circle. Pray for your spouse, your, your children, the people that you love, your friends and your family. And then pray for your outer circle. Those are like your coworkers, and Those are people in your life that are friends, but you're not really relationally close to them. There are maybe even people like me that you can say, God, bless his ministry and, and bless him today. May you do great things through these folks. And then, then there needs to be this attitude that we start thinking globally. Like, I hope in your prayers, your prayer life, you've prayed this past week for the, the people who have been flood victims in Louisiana. I hope you prayed for those people that have been shaken to the core in Italy because of that, that earthquake. You know, we need to be praying for others because what it does, it starts to soften our heart to the plight of God's people. And the more that we find ourselves praying for others, the more that we're going to find ourselves interested in who they are and interested in what's going on with them spiritually and physically. I think that's why Jesus even taught us to pray for our enemy so that it would soften our heart and that we could recognize that God desires that the agenda be first praying for others before you pray for yourself. Jesus also taught that my prayer life should include times when I express my daily dependence on God. Christ prayed, give us each day our daily bread. You know, we need to be reminded that God is the real sustainer of life. While a farmer, I think, is able to tend the land, plant the seeds, and care for the growth, it's God, isn't it, that provides the sun and the rain and gives nutrients so that that seed might grow and bring some kind of sustenance to our life and while jesus was expressing a thankfulness for our daily needs the real teaching that's being taught here is that we have a dependency on god for all things and we need to thank him for being someone that can deliver the psalmist said i lift my eyes up to the mountains where does my help come from my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, King David wrote this scripture, and when he talked about the mountains, he was looking to a place where kings and counselors and advisors ruled the people. It would almost be like it was David in modern times saying, I've looked to Capitol Hill for help, but I didn't find help there. I couldn't depend on 
Capitol Hill, I could only depend on God because God is the only keeper of his promises and God can deliver. You know, I'm not going to depend on government. I'm not going to depend on my family. I'm not going to depend on my job and I'm not going to depend on my investments. I'm going to depend on the Lord. And that's what David is saying, that we need to have an attitude in prayer that says, God, thank you that I can depend on you for the big things and the little things. One of our previous youth ministers is a guy by the name of Ryan Weimer. Ryan has severe ADHD, and while he was on our staff, he decided to really make a bold and drastic decision that he was going to get himself off of the medication that the doctors had prescribed to him. After he consulted with the doctors, the doctor gave him the okay, and he drew back the medication to the point where he was off of it. Now, everybody in the congregation, many, I should say, in the congregation thought he was crazy because they knew his hyperactivity. But Ryan would say things like, you know, I've put my trust in doctors, and I've put my trust in this medication, but I don't recall a time when I've ever put my trust in God to give me the self-control that I need. Now, I know this is not for everybody, but he decided to become more dependent on God than he'd become more dependent on his medication. Now, that's not going to be the case for everybody. But he saw the need to put his dependency on a God and recognize him as the sustainer of his life and become completely dependent on him in his life. And friends, whatever you're going through or wherever you're at right now, you find yourself today, become dependent on God daily. Shake the urge to become a self-made man and recognize that God is the sustainer and provider of the good things in your life. Jesus also taught us that our prayers should encompass getting our heart right with God and with people. He prayed, forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. And while he never needed to pray this prayer because Jesus is sinless, he demonstrated that I think an appropriate part of our prayers ought to include God searching our heart so that we can discover the things about our life that need to be changed so that we can become more Christ-like. That he should search our hearts so that we can become convicted of sins. Look, I, I don't ever want to become callous to sin. I want to be reminded that my sin grieves God and it hurts my relationship with other people. And as much as we should seek out God to forgive us because it helps to create a Christ-like attitude for forgiving others, we need to also be praying ahead and, and praying that God will for, forgive those that have hurt us or harmed us as well. You know, just about every single week, uh, I get someone slinging mud at this ministry or slinging mud at my ministry, and it, it's everything in me to stop, to not want to sling that mud back. My human nature just wants to go out and seek revenge to them. Uh, I heard about people using the count to 10 method when they get angry. You heard about that? They count to 10, and they think, I'll get a breather here. Um, I have a friend that did the count to 10 method. He was just kind of a just a hot head and he said i'd count to 10 but when i got to eight i'd throw a punch and hit him in the throat and it just didn't work and what he's saying is look it didn't work for me some of you have all sorts of ways to lessen your anger and to lessen your revenge but let me tell you the best way it's through prayer god condition my heart for this person let me take a breath here so that i can see it through your eyes and not through my eyes it's yours to revenge lord not mine and you've heard about those that battle addiction they find a recovery group, and most recovery groups recognize that if you want to overcome addiction, you're going to have to find a higher power. And when they find that higher power, most of them find God. They're able to break free from that addiction and daily overcome. 
But yet for us that hold revenge or vengeance in our hearts, we, we don't do that. We think we can overcome it on our own. Or if we have anger issues, we think we can do the 10, count the 10 method, but it doesn't work. We're gonna need God to intervene on our behalf and recognize that we've hurt some people. God, forgive us of that. And there's some people that are gonna hurt us. And would you forgive them that? And when we ask for forgiveness, it conditions our heart to start loving them greater. You know, Jesus taught us how to do this when he was dying on the cross. He looked at his executioners and he said, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You know, in doing so, he released resentment and he put, he put, he put that resentment into the hands of a God that is discerning and who is just. And that cr- incredible act of forgiveness that we see on the cross was displayed so that you and I can understand the extent of God's love for us. I mean, if God was willing to forgive the ones that murdered his son, how much more willing is God going to be to forgive you of your sins? So may a part of your prayer be spent getting your heart right with God and getting your heart right with others. He also taught us to pray for purity and for power. He prayed, lead us not into temptation. When Matthew picked up this model prayer in Matthew 6, he said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, these are times in my life when I think the Satan entraps me into sin and they, I, I just find myself doing things that I don't want to do. Do you ever have moments like you're like, I don't want to do this, but I find myself doing this, but I know this is not what Christ would desire for my life. And please don't misread what Jesus had spoken in that prayer. God's not leading us into temptation. He's actually providing us an escape. Let me, let me refer to you as scripture out of James. He said, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're saying, God, would you take charge? Would you take the lead? Because when I find myself to be in the lead, I find myself stumbling into a pit of temptation. When we say, God, would you lead me? We're saying, God, you take the forefront of this path that I'm walking on because you can see the cracks in the path and you can keep me from tripping up and falling. Now, some of you in this room, you've struggled with sin and you feel like it's so... uh, so big of a sin that you can't overcome it, you can't get by it, or you're tempted with something in your life and you say, you know what, I'll never be able to overcome this temptation. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says about that. It says that temptation in your life are no different from what others experience. God's faithful. He's not, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure I mean, how many of you are praying the prayer? God, keep me, lead me from temptation, deliver me from evil. That should be a part of the prayer life that we have. I heard about this kid that was bullied for his lunch money about a couple times a week. And because the boy didn't want to get beat up, he gave the bully his $2 lunch money just about every single day. And so the kid decided, you know what? I'm tired of having this bully steal my money. So I'll go get some karate lessons and I'll fight back. Well, he started karate lessons, but the instructor wanted $30 a week for lessons. And the boy thought, you know, that's a lot of money. So the boy found that it was cheaper to pay the bully, and he gave up karate lessons to fight back. I think, unfortunately, there's many Christians in this room, we have the same attitude when it comes to Satan and his schemes, and when it comes to temptation. It's easier to pay the bully than it is to pray and fight back. This book that is on your chair is a book that we've titled Foundations that goes along with our series in the next five weeks. It's a 40-day 
prayer booklet and a scripture starting point. And you may say, I don't know what to pray for. This book has some bullet points of what to pray for daily. You may say, but I don't read much. Well, this book has the scriptures within it. So if you're not familiar with your Bible, you just open up this this book and you follow along a daily devotion. And today I'm challenging you to take this book home and to today, take 10, 15 minutes out of your day and just pray through what's being led and, and read through what's being said in here. And connect with God and stand firm in your faith and start building up the foundation of prayer in your life.